0: Well, hey Crosspoint, we are in for something special today because we have one of our worship pastors, Dewan Hill, who will be teaching today. And we are blessed to have Pastor Dewan on our team and his family as part of our church. And if you've been around for a while, you know that he leads with humility and, uh, and passion and energy each and every week. But I want you to know when it comes to uh, when it comes to humility and character, he is the same person backstage as he is on the platform. Um, the authenticity that he brings to the mix is the real deal. And so hopefully you've had a chance by now to begin to watch the Peace and Prosperity documentary series that's on our Crosspoint YouTube channel. Um, if not, I wanna encourage you, um, Dewan is a part of that, I want to encourage you to go check that out. Dewan is gifted he can sing and write music. He's won awards for that. And he also has a teaching gift for helping us understand the truth of scripture and applying it to our lives and I can't wait. Uh, to get to hear what God has to say today to us through Him as we continue this storyteller series. So let's give Him a home field reception as He takes the stage to teach today. Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing today? It's good to see you. Hey, congratulations on coming to church on a holiday weekend. These are the Super Saints. You all love the Lord for will. Hey, I want to say hello to all of our campuses watching around Middle Tennessee. God bless you. I'm glad you came to church today. I specifically uh, want to send my condolences uh, for the Dixon campus. They had a tragic loss. Uh, Dixon Donuts closed temporarily. And uh, if you have not been to Dixon, I encourage you to visit the Dixon campus and Dixon Donuts. I'm so sorry, praying for you. For, for God to help you out through the next four weeks. I think it'll be open in four weeks. I also wanna say hello to my friends at God Behind Bars. Um, can we get up for our friends at God Behind Bars? How are y'all doing? We're honored to worship with you today. It's an honor to praise God with you and, and thank you for worshiping with us. Um, it's so good to be in God's house and uh, we have a lot to celebrate, a lot to celebrate today. Uh, but I wanna start with a trivia question. I wanna see if you can answer this question for me. Uh, can you tell me the common link between George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Walt Disney, and Jesus. So you wanna know, what is Dawn talking about? George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Walt Disney, and Jesus. Any connections? Well, I actually watched this movie last night. It's called Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a great movie. My son was jumping from couch to couch. He was inspired to try to be like Indiana Jones. And it's one of my favorite movies. I think a new version is out or coming out soon. It's such an awesome story about a man looking for a treasure. And Indiana Jones is just this inspiring figure who's looking for uh, a hidden treasure, actually. And I don't know if you know this, but George Lucas and Steven Spielberg directed this film together. And uh, in 1981, they did that together. And then in 2012, George Lucas sold his entire film company to Walt Disney, for four billion dollars—I said that with a B—four billion dollars, he sold his whole catalog. So that's Spielberg, Lucas, and Disney. But what does Jesus have to do with that? Well, I, I, I got to tell you, Indiana Jones had a great story. Star Wars is a great story. The Office has some great stories. But the best story is what we find out in Scripture, in, Bi- in the Bible. I mean, some of the most dramatic, and some of the most funny, and some of the most inspirational stories happen right here in Scripture. And that's what that Storyteller series is about for the the summer series, and we've had some great speakers, and I'm honored um, to be sharing some of my story with you today. I'm going to share some of my personal story. I'm going to share an exciting wedding proposal story, and I'm going to share a story from Scripture. But I want to start with a, a parable And if you haven't heard the word parable, a parable is simply a a short story uh, that is used to have a power-packed message, short story, power-packed message. And we find this in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, It's a treasure story. It's a treasure hunt story. Are you ready to go for a treasure hunt, friends? Let's do it. Let's do it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven is like, this is what parables do. They set up this kind of idealistic, beautiful image compared to something we understand. Now, maybe you all haven't bought a lot of land, but most of us are familiar with real estate and how real estate goes up and down and we don't know exactly what's gonna happen today or tomorrow. And in this parable, we find a man finding a treasure and selling all that he has to buy the field to get that treasure. And I wanna say from the beginning that the kingdom of heaven is not like the world we live in. The kingdom of heaven is not like the world we live in. The kingdom of heaven has a different culture It's got a different leader, it's got a different goal, it's going in a different direction, and it's got a different way to date. Yes, I said a different way to date. How many of y'all are actually on a dating app right now? Don't raise your hand, because you might embarrass yourself, I don't know. (laughs) I went on a date about 10 years ago, and uh, it was one of those typical post-church side hug, I'm not really committed to you, but let's figure out what's gonna happen kind of dates. We went after a service like this, we ended up at a place called Fido in Hillsboro Village. I don't know if you all have been to Fido before, but they got great coffee, great food. So I was like, this is a pretty casual, you know, non-committal place, there'll be people there and you know, we can hang out and talk. And uh, I, went, I took this young lady from church, we ended up at Fido, we hung out for a few minutes, and then I had this great idea, which I thought was a great idea. I was like, I think she'll like me better if we play this game. So I was like, hey, how about you tell me something you like about me? and then I'll tell you something I like about you. And my plan was to pour it on her. I mean, to make her feel like the most, it's the best woman in the world, right? So I said, you go first. And she said, well, I like that you play piano. I was like, yeah. (laughs) She said, I like that you go to church. I was like, yeah, I do that too. And she was saying all these nice things. And in my mind, I'm not really listening to her because I'm planning. She has no idea what I'm about to do. I'm about to just land on it, right? But my motives probably weren't that great. So it was my turn. I say, well thank you for saying that, and I just just wanna tell you, and before I could get all the flirt statements out, it was like a veil was moved from in front of my face, and I saw her in a new way. And before I could stop myself, I said, you are a jewel, and whoever is with you has someone really special. And as soon as I said that, I said, oh no, I tried to grab all the words. Because I knew how powerful and how committal that statement was. And before I could change what I said, a tear was coming down her face. And I realized, one, how important words are, men, when you say them to women. (laughs) And two, I wonder how many of us actually have not heard someone tell us that we're special that we are a jewel, that we have value. I realized in that moment that maybe she hadn't heard that in a long time. And I wonder in this room how many of us have not heard that in a long time. And you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of reasons that we don't see each other as treasures, and we don't even see ourselves as treasures. Maybe you've gone through a hard season of life where you feel lonely I think we've gone through a worldwide season of life where we have felt lonely. Maybe you have felt undervalued in your job or undervalued in your marriage. Maybe you've been undervalued and felt ostracized because of your weight or your skin color or your gender or your education status or how much money you have in the bank or a bad audition or tryout that didn't go the way you wanted it to go. Or maybe you took a test and didn't pass the test. Or maybe you had an embarrassing moment a few days ago that no one will let you forget. We all have these moments and these times in our lives. Well, we feel what I'm calling today rejection. You don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us in the room and watching online have ever felt rejected. I'll raise my hand and say I have felt this so many times. Rejection is simply feeling unloved, unvalued, and unappreciated. We feel rejected when we feel overlooked, forgotten about, pushed aside, kicked out, ghosted, left behind, misunderstood, divorced, abandoned, and even abused. I'll tell you a couple times where i felt this in my life, I, uh, when I graduated from Belmont University, go Bruins, yeah, there you go, there you go. I, I majored in music and thought I was pretty good. And I felt like my next step in my career was to go all the way to LA and to get a master's degree in music. And uh, three people applied, two of my friends and myself. Uh, We sent our applications off. And they both got acceptance letters. And I got what you call a rejection letter. I did not get into school. And I thought it wasn't going to be a big deal. But that sent me on about a three-month, very dark journey. I felt rejected. I've been fired from a job before and lost a lot of community. I felt rejected in that moment. And I'll be honest with you, you know, uh, I'm I'm an African American, I have light skin, and and sometimes I walk in a room, and I feel like I'm not dark enough to be black, and not light enough to be white. Maybe you all haven't experienced that, maybe some of you have. we're born into the world with things that kind of makes us feel a little left out, and then world, the world happens to us, and then situations happen to us, and then life happens to us. We're in the situation where for some reason in this moment, or for reasons that I can clearly identify, I don't feel like I'm accepted in this moment. Maybe you said sentences like, no one knows how I feel. No one really cares about me. No one really sees me. Have you ever thought or heard that? ever said that out loud. There's an author and counselor named Larry Crabb. He writes a really important statement. He says, our most basic need is a sense of personal worth, an acceptance of oneself as a whole real person. And the two required inputs are significance and security. Now let me break this down for you because that that can be counselor language for some of us like me who don't really understand that. But significance and security are two inputs on how we feel valuable and worth someone else's attention and most importantly, God's love. And significance says, I have purpose. Security says, I am accepted and I am loved. And if those two statements aren't, being pushed into your life, or you're not receiving those statements, it's really difficult, and I would say impossible, especially from God, to have a sense of worth. But you know what's interesting? I mentioned George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and Walt Disney, and that fourth person I want to talk about right now is Jesus. Because Jesus was different. He was just built different. Because Jesus is the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, and he's high lifted up for all eternity. He is the one and only one who's worthy of all of our praise. But did you know that Jesus was also rejected? If you rewind to your Sunday school lesson or maybe to a Bible study you had, I wanna remind you of a few ways that Jesus was rejected. One, he was rejected by his adoptive father, Joseph. Hey, remember this story? where this angel came to a virgin girl and said that she's gonna have a baby. Do you know that's kind of a problem for the guy she's engaged to? And for a short amount of time, Joseph had a dilemma. And in his heart, I believe he rejected the idea that Mary could be pregnant. Jesus was rejected by the government If you remember King Herod sent a decree when he thought he was threatened, and he was threatened by the thought of another king being born, he annihilated all these babies. Terrible, terrible, terrible thing for a king to do. Jesus was rejected by the government. Jesus was rejected by his own people and the leaders of that time, the pastors of that time. Jesus will be walking in the synagogue and preaching and teaching and sharing his heart and the message of, of the gospel and the message of the kingdom, and the religious leaders who were supposed to be on his team and supposed to have his back were asking him hard questions and criticizing him and even plotting his death. That's church hurt on another level. Jesus was rejected by his own friends and followers. If you remember, Jesus had a squad of 12 guys. They would hang out all the time. But when Jesus was in his worst moments, they went to sleep while he was praying, and when Jesus was turned over to the religious leaders, they even ran away in fear and left him by himself. Jesus was rejected by his friends and fathers. And worst of all, Jesus was placed on a cross. We sung about this a few minutes ago. He was placed on a cross, not for sins that he committed, because being on a cross at that time was capital punishment for capital punishment for a sin that he should have committed. But he did not. He was 100% pure, 100% innocent, yet they put him on the cross for our sin. He took the punishment for our sin. And when that happened, because father, his father, his father looked on him and saw our sin on him, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was rejected. And I tell you all that because sometimes we come to church and we sing these songs and we think Jesus is lofty and separated from our lives. But I hope what you're hearing in your heart right now is Jesus knows how I feel. Jesus knows my pain. So the question I would ask is, why would he do that? Why would he leave angelic worship services in heaven on a throne, more beautiful than anything we've ever seen, and come to this dusty, dirty, broken, wicked, beat-up world for people who may not even say yes to him, who may not even want to hear about his story, who may even stiff-arm him when they hear his name, who may even abuse and blaspheme and curse his name? Why would Jesus do that? The answer is really simple. It's love. See, you act different when you love somebody. When you see somebody like more than just another person, but as a treasure, you do things differently. And I'm not talking about butterfly love. I'm not talking like sweaty palm at a movie theater love. I'm not talking about like uh, the date I went on, which was supposed to be a flirtatious date. When you look at people like that, that's not love. I'm talking about a self-sacrificing, self-denying, other-focused, unconditional love, even to the point where Jesus sacrificed all the good things that he had access to and gave them up. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. So what does all this have to do with the parable I read in Matthew chapter 13? Let's read it again, just so you remember where we are. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure Hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, I grew up thinking and being taught that the treasure in this field was Jesus, and I, the man, had to sell everything that I had to get to Jesus. And I'm not saying that's wrong, I think that's a way you can interpret that parable. But you know what that does in my heart? That makes me like strive and like. Honestly, it invokes a little bit of nervousness. Like, I hope I sell this perfectly. I hope I get to Jesus perfectly. I hope I do all the right things perfectly because if he's worth that much, he's not going to take 80, 70, 99%. 100% is required to get that treasure. But I want to flip this interpretation a little bit and give you another option on how you can interpret this. What if the man in this parable is Jesus? What if the hero of this story is not you? What if you're not the one being asked to be the hero of this story? What if you are the treasure? What if you have immeasurable worth and value? What if Jesus experienced rejection for the treasure, you? I was thinking this morning, uh, as I was getting ready, you know, we have a lot of value in our culture. You know, there's, there's things going on in the government about how we're gonna have transactions with cash and stock market comes up and down and real estate comes up and down. You know, that's market value. That's what happens when value is associated to something based on circumstances. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about maker value. I'm talking about the value you get because you're here the value you have because God made you in his image, a value that's not determined on the mistakes or the abuse or the abandonment or the conditions of the environment or the conditions of the market. You have value because you are made by God for God. That's a value that no one in this room can earn or buy. It's a value that God has imprinted on your heart and your soul simply because God makes good things. Check out Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Come on, Scripture, let's preach. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. I know for some of you all that can be hard to believe for a couple reasons. Some of you might be hearing, man, that's a pretty selfish American message that I'm special or the people in the room are special. I mean, shouldn't we be talking about how special Jesus is? And we should, and we actually are talking about how special Jesus is. Others may be thinking, I don't deserve that kind of worth. I mean, I would love to hear what you're saying, Dawn, I would love to receive what you're saying, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know where I was planning to go after this service. There is no way that what you're saying to me applies to me. I wanna to talk to both camps. You're a treasure. You have value. Tim Keller says this and Torn Wells has a song that says you are fully known and fully loved. Right where you are, right now, watching where you are, sitting in this room, at all of our campuses, you are fully known and fully loved. We sang this in the first song of our set today. This is John chapter three, verse 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. you probably heard that scripture before, but I hope it's ringing fresh in your ears right now. God loved the world that he gave his only son. You are a treasure. I know you've made mistakes, I know you've had hard times, I know things have been done to you, but let me tell you something beautiful about the gospel. You don't have to live in rejection, you can live in what we as believers call redemption. You see, redemption takes what is broken and marred and scarred and beat up and it turns into something beautiful. How do I know that's true? Because Matthew 10, verse 30 says, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Now, that's a lot of numbers for some of y'all and not many numbers for others. Doesn't matter how many you have, they're numbered. (laughs) So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And that scripture does not, it's not tainted because of what you've done or what you haven't done. The scripture is true. God loves you and knows you so well that he's numbered the hairs on your head and he's numbered your days and he has a plan for your life because he is a redeeming God. He knew what you would do before you did it. He knew what you would think before you thought it. And he enacted a plan to save you even before you did the thing you knew you should not have done. How do I know this? In Romans chapter five, it says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, this is crazy. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us? That's a love that's not part of this world. That's a kingdom of heaven type love that's not like the kingdom of this world. If you don't hear me say anything else today, I want you to hear this. God loves you because God is love, period. Not God loves you because you, or God loves you because me, or God loves you because we. God loves you because God is love. He's the hero. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one we worship. Jesus is the one we praise. Jesus is the one that loves beyond anything this world can offer. The question is, do you believe that? I could preach till I'm blue in the face, but until you believe, Like John 3.16 says, until you believe that. Unbelief is one thing. To say I don't believe is one thing. I have a feeling though I'm not talking to people who say I don't wanna believe. I think I'm talking to more people who are saying help my unbelief. I want to believe that. I want to believe that, Duan. Can you help me? I can't, but I want to introduce you to someone who can. I want you to close your eyes. I invite you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine a field. Beautiful field with a lot of flowers, a meadow, with no cell phones, no traffic, a light breeze. Maybe it's a field from your childhood. Maybe it's a field you wish you had when you were a child. I just want you to rest your heart and rest your mind and imagine this peaceful place. When you're ready, you can open your eyes. And as you do that, I wanna tell you a story in the Bible. It's, It's found in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is not something that's on your probably daily devotional every day. But let me tell you, if you have not read the story of Ruth, you need to go check that story out. I mean, it's better than The Bachelor and The Bachelorette combined. It's crazy. Basically, this woman, named Naomi, unfortunately, loses her husband, so she becomes a widow. Her two sons die, even though they're married to two women. So Naomi becomes a widow, and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, becomes a widow. And there's a famine in Israel. So they leave Israel. They go to another land. And in that land, Naomi is a foreigner. And that's where the husband and the sons die. And I don't know if you know this, but when you're a widow and a foreigner in those ancient times, you have nothing. Like, there's, there's nothing left. So Naomi and Ruth, they travel back to Israel hoping to to have some type of life and status and Ruth ends up in the field. She ends up in the field and Israelite law said that if a foreign woman needed to eat, she could follow the harvesters in the field and pick up whatever is left over in the field, leftovers. She could pick up the leftovers and whatever she could find would be all that she and Naomi could eat. Then one day, this man sees her This man named Boaz sees her and he asks, who is this woman picking up all this leftover food in my field? And the men tell her her name is Ruth and she's been doing this for a while and he has mercy on her. He says, well, I mean, I feel bad for her so leave a little extra for her when she's coming behind you this time. He saw her differently. He didn't see her as a widow and as a foreigner. He saw her as something that was worth more and maybe even how she saw herself. The relationship continues, and then Boaz eventually decides that he wants to help bring Ruth into his home. He wants to marry her. The problem is, in Jewish culture, you got to get in line, man. (laughs) You just can't take a woman and marry her without going through the appropriate measures. And... There was another man in line who had the right to buy the field and to acquire Ruth as his wife. So Boaz goes to this man who's unnamed in Scripture; We don't know his name. And the man says, actually, I want to buy the field. And Boaz is disappointed. He's like, oh, I mean, you have the right to do this. If you're going to do it, you can do it. And Boaz said, but wait a minute. Just so you know, if you buy this field, you also marry Ruth. And it's a sad part of the story when this man says, well, if Ruth is part of the package, I don't want the field. So now Ruth is a widow, a foreigner, and a rejected woman. I don't know which category you've been in, but I've been in a lot of rejected situations and I've felt like Ruth, where I'm in the wrong spot, I don't have the relationships I should have, and I'm rejected again. But Boaz is what you call, in Scripture, a redeemer. (laughs) I feel like preaching. Can I preach right now? I feel like preaching. Scripture calls Boaz a redeemer. And do you know what a redeemer is? A redeemer is someone in those times who would buy the field and take Ruth as his wife. There's a scripture that says, I know my redeemer lives. I want to help you. The next time you feel rejected, I want you to quote that scripture. I know my Redeemer lives. When you feel pushed aside, I know my Redeemer lives. Boaz buys the field. Does that sound familiar to a scripture I read at the beginning of this message? Boaz bought the field knowing that he would get Ruth the treasure. Hallelujah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life.
1: That's what Jesus did for you.
0: When other people said, I don't want her. Other people said, I don't need him. Other people said, I wish they would get out of my life. Jesus said, that's who I want. I'm willing to give my entire life, my entire life to save you, to love you. It's a beautiful story. So I gotta finish my story. So that date was kinda great. That was 10 years ago. And uh, after that date, I saw that girl, that young lady differently. Can I show you what happened? This will happen about nine months later. There's a story that we've talked about. About a man who goes on a really long journey finds his treasure in a field and with all of his all of his joy, all of his peace and assurance that he's gonna make the right decision, he sells everything that he has to buy the whole field just to get that treasure. A virtuous woman who can find her value is more than many jewels. So today in front of God's
1: creation, God himself, in the Holy Spirit. I have a question to ask you, Laura. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Laura Beth Minor. Would e. you marry me? Yes. You will? Great. Yes.
0: Good answer. Yes. Cool. <laughs> great. <laughs> Is anybody else wondering who that random guy that was sitting there? Okay, you missed the whole proposal. He was was my friend Bobby. He played guitar in the scene before that. And uh, it was a beautiful time. Um, I married her. She's sitting right over there. I married her. Now, I'm not saying you gotta marry every girl you go on a date with That Fido. I'm not saying that. But I am saying when God shows you something about someone, pay attention. And that's what I want to talk about next. I've been spending a lot of time talking about how valuable you are. But do you know that when you receive the love of God, something changes in your heart? If you are a treasure, then so is the person next to you. And this is where I want to challenge maybe some perspectives in the room. Because once you receive the love of God, that's not the end of the story. In fact, that's the beginning of your story. Once you receive God's love, you start to look around the room. Actually, I want you to look around the room right now. Just take a quick glance around the room. You see brown hair, black hair, dark skin, light skin, different statuses, different sizes. None of that affects how valuable the person you just saw or even the person sitting next to you is. Everyone has value. Your parents have value. Your spouse has value. Your kids have value. Your neighbor has value. Your classmate, your barista, your mechanic, your pastor, your barber, your boss, your teammate, our friends watching from God behind bars, you have value. And the annoying telemarketer who calls five times a day, that person has value. It's really important that we receive this as well. I have value, but I also need to value the person that's sitting next to me. Um, You know, I I hesitated to bring this part up because I don't want you to think that I would use this platform to push any agenda or say anything um, that would make you uncomfortable for no reason, but I am going to say this. You know, I'm an African American, hopefully you figure that out by now, and sometimes it's not easy to be in the places that I'm in. Sometimes it's not easy to be on this stage, to be honest with you. But I've had so many people in this church give my wife and my family and I value. And I appreciate, you that, I appreciate you for that, thank you. I've also been in experiences before, not here in this church, but outside of this church before, where I've heard statements like, I love everybody and I don't see color. And I think I know what you mean by that. I think you mean like everyone's equal and everyone has a part to play. And, you know, I don't see your differences, but I want, I want to enlighten you if, you if you have maybe said that or thought that was encouraging, that basically says, I don't see who you are. And I actually would rather just kind of make you look like everything else so that there is no color. Maybe a better way to say that is, I see you, and I see how you're different, and I love you, and I appreciate your culture and your perspective. Again, that's not a condemnation. It's an invitation to see people for who they are and not try to cram everybody into the same bubble but to appreciate what God has done by creating a diverse nation of people in Nashville. And I pray, and I hope you pray with me, that there will be a diverse group of people at Crosspoint. Yeah, let's pray for that, man. And the way to do that It's a lot of things, but I think the first step is you got to know you're a treasure and the person sitting next to you is also a treasure. Uh, I'm thankful for Crosspoint because we, we have been a part of a project called Peace and Prosperity. It's available on YouTube right now. And basically, my friend Josh Reed, he's a pastor here, we walked around Nashville and we started discovering all of these stories about Nashville that I didn't even know, some of them. Did you know that Nashville is not called Music City because of Country Music and Music Row? Nashville is called Music City because of the fifth Jubilee singers who were raising money for African Americans to go to college, to go to university. And they traveled around the world and that's how Nashville got the name Music City. Also, did you know that Meharry Medical College was started because a white family traveling in a wagon many, many years ago broke down And they knocked on the door, and a black family opened the door and welcomed them in, took care of them that night, and fixed their wagon. And that white family was so grateful for that, years later they made a donation to their school, Meharry Medical College. See, this is why we got to value each other through stories. When you tell a story, you start to understand, wow, I didn't know that about my own town. My prayer for us today, first of all, is that we would know that we are a treasure. And my second prayer is that we would treasure the person sitting next to us. And we don't do that based on works and striving and programs and even fundraising. We do that based on one reason, Jesus paid it all. He already paid the ticket and the bill for this to happen. The debt has been reduced to zero Your sins have been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Your name is written in the book of life if you believe on his name. And that means you have the power of the Holy Spirit to do everything I just said, without your strength being a factor. In fact, when you feel weak and helpless and unable to do it, that's when the spirit of God kicks in, and that's when you start to live in your debt-free life. Not student loans, even though I pray that for you. I'm praying for your life to be debt-free of sin, of the punishment and the consequences of sin, so that you can see your wife and your kids and your co-worker and your friends and other people as much as they need to be seen as a treasure.
1: Can you sing this with me? Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Come on, everywhere. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white. Asleep. That's beautiful. Come on, let's sing it again. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin. Had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life. Yeah, come on, let's sing. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life. Of yeah, oh, praise. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt, and praise the side of my death. One more time. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt, and praise the
0: side of my death. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus died and gave his life for treasures like you, treasures like you, treasures like me, so that the love that is shed abroad in our hearts would pour out of our hearts to other people. I think there are two groups in the room today. Some of you have not heard the gospel preached like that before, and you've been striving to earn love, you've been striving to recover from an abuse of rejection, You've been striving and working hard to prove to others that you're worth something and that you have value and significance and security. I have good news for you. The gospel says that God loved you while you were a sinner, and he loves you in this moment, and there's nothing that you can do to change or refute that love. All you have to do right now in this moment is to believe. That's a good deal. That's a really good deal. So that first group I'm talking to, if God is touching your heart, if he's stirring your heart, and you want that, I wanna pray for you. The second group is maybe you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, I don't know, but you've been convicted because you haven't been seeing people as treasures. You've been treating your family maybe like a trinket and and not a treasure. Or maybe something I said to you woke up your perspective of people that don't look like you or don't have the same economic status or education status and you, you wanna say I'm sorry I'm sorry. I wanna say there's grace for both groups and all in between. I've been in both groups at the same time. So there's grace for that. And if you believe that this is the day that you can be a different person, I invite you to bow your heads. Father, I thank you for my friends here. I thank you for what you've done in this service. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us from our sin and helps us to also reach over to the person next to us. I pray in Jesus' name for those who are convicted and the Spirit is working in their hearts right now, would you complete the work? Would you give them the boldness to say a prayer? Whatever prayer you want to say right now, just whisper it. I'm not going to tell you what to pray. You, it can be two words or five words. Whisper a prayer. Father, you hear our prayer and you answer. May the blood of Jesus cleanse our hands and our hearts and our minds and make us a people, your treasured possession. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, there are gonna be people here at the front, pastors and friends who are trusted people. If you feel God tugging at your heart and you wanna feel and know that you're supporting the prayer you just prayed, it could be everybody in the room. We got time. I have a feeling there's a few of you that need to come down. Come down. We would love to pray for you. Hey, I hope you have a great holiday weekend. Happy July 4th. We'll see you next week, okay? Bless you.